0: Well, first of all, let me say good morning, church. It is good to see you all in the house of the Lord on this morning. If you are visiting, again, it is good to have you here as well. And it is our prayer that you have been blessed uh, thus far. Let me also uh, publicly thank all of you who have offered words of prayer. Uh, condolences to uh, me. Uh, some of you may have heard that yesterday evening, or rather yesterday morning, uh, my grandmother took her last breath, and uh, she. this was expected. Uh, if you've heard me tell my testimony, she is someone whom the Lord used to draw me closer unto him. I am grateful to have had the opportunity to talk with her last week, and uh, she was ready to go be with her Savior. So when you pray, not only pray for comfort for the extended family, but please offer a word of thanks to the Lord, for she is now enjoying the great feast of our Lord. So again, thank you so much uh, to all of you who have offered words of condolences. That being said, I'll invite you to rise if you are physically able. (coughs) This morning, we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 2, specifically verses 18 through 29. In case you are visiting, I will read this and then I will ask the Lord's blessings, and after that, you can take your seat. Amen? The word of the Lord reads as follows. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to look to your word. And while there is much contained within this passage, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would help us to feast upon what it is you would have us to take away. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of being able to have your word. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you and we pray. Amen. I want, if you, if you don't mind, I, I would ask you to put into your mind the picture of a mother grizzly bear. I know that may sound kind of weird to start off the message, but I want you to play along. I want you to think about a mother grizzly bear. And, and by the way, I, I as you get to know me as a pastor and when I think through illustrations, I am one who loves animals of various sorts. God created animals, amen? <laughs> but I want you to think about uh, a mother grizzly bear and the reason I want you to think about a a grizzly bear and by the way this will be true of a number of animals one of the things that a mother grizzly bear is uh, well known for is uh, the love that she would have for her children. Now again this is not particular to a grizzly bear alone but A grizzly bear is known to become extremely fierce when it comes to protecting her cubs. On an average day, she's not going to interact or interfere with a male grizzly, partly because of his size and how ferocious a grizzly bear, specifically the male, can be. But if that male is in the vicinity of her cubs, she becomes extremely fierce for the sake of her cubs. To the point that not only will she be willing to fight off a male grizzly bear, but she would be willing to die for the sake of her children. The Apostle John If you pay close attention to how he presents specifically today's passage, but even in various other portions of Scripture, John is very protective of those whom he would deem his spiritual children. Whenever false teachers come around, whenever those who would threaten the spiritual well-being of his children, whenever they are in the vicinity of those he would deem his children, John's writing becomes quite protective, quite defensive. Because again, he has great love, of course, for Christ and the truth but also for the well-being of his spiritual children. Now, the verses that I have read, there is much meat uh, in these uh, portions of Scripture. I want to highlight three specific things, but that being said, I do want to give you somewhat of a brief uh, overview in terms of what's being communicated here. So I want you to pay close attention because I'll try to move through uh, some of these verses quickly, and then we will spend a good amount of time on the three points that I wish to highlight. In verse number 18, he begins, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, again, this is not the uh, majority of what I wish to focus upon, but John, as well as Paul and other uh, writers of Scripture, whenever you hear the phrase last hour, in their mind, they are thinking of uh, a period in which Christ can come back at any moment. And again, in their mind, uh, they were thinking, they were anticipating, they were ready for Jesus' coming at any moment. And as such, they would often phrase this period of expectation as the last hour. And he goes on to talk about the Antichrist. Now, in various portions of scripture, the Antichrist seems to allude uh, to to Satan in some people's minds. In others, they think this is some other figure, prominent figure that will come who is not necessarily Satan but comes to do Satan's biddings. John takes this particular phrase and he alludes or concludes on some level that the Antichrist, in his context, the Antichrist, are those who, in essence, deny Jesus. So he's not necessarily harping on who this one figure is. He is thinking more or less about the false teachers who are coming and denying Jesus Christ. He goes on in the rest of the passage, for example, in verses 20 and 21, to talk about how the Holy Spirit gives Unto the people the knowledge of truth. And as such, they need not rely upon these false teachers. As a matter of fact, they can test the false teachers out by the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. In verse 23, he talks about the connection with the Father and the Son. So, for example, you cannot say, I have the Father, and yet deny Jesus Christ. If you want or if you think you have the Father, well, what is your view? How do you hold to Jesus? For only those who hold to the Christ of Scripture will have the God of all of creation. He goes on to relay the fact that he wants to, or he's writing to them so that they will not be deceived. And then he goes on from there to conclude about the message i.e. eternal life. And then he talks about the anointing of the fruit, specifically the anointing that the Holy Spirit gives to those who hold to Jesus in truth. That was somewhat of a a quick overview, but in case you get the opportunity the rest of the day, then you can have some idea of what is happening here, big picture-wise. The three specific things that I want us to concentrate on. The first is this, the importance of holding a true and proper knowledge of Jesus. Many folks, us included, may have certain things that we uh, are extremely passionate about. And they don't have to be some uh, super spiritual cause. They some of us can be uh, passionate about uh, health. Some of us may be all into the latest health trends and what's out there and what we can do to better uh, our health. Some are passionate about uh, the environment or animals or cars, or whatever. John seems to be extremely passionate about a proper view of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, and I take that this John, the Apostle John, is also the author of the Gospel of John. If you read through John's Gospel, you will see a Christ that is highly exalted when it comes to his divinity. It's not just about what Jesus does. That's extremely important. But John is also passionate and adamant about showing folks that Jesus is God in the flesh. And this is not to suggest, of course, that John would not be concerned, obviously, about salvation. Of course he is. This is not to say that he wouldn't be passionate or, or, or other issues of the faith are not important to him. But if you read his writings as a whole, you will see that he is extremely concerned with his audience recognizing and realizing who the Savior is. And so when he comes to his audience in this particular passage, he realizes that there are folks who were at one point a part of the church who have now left and they are going and they are promoting a different Christ. Some were saying that this Christ did not come into the, he did not come and have flesh. I've talked a little bit about that in previous sermons. But nonetheless, John is adamant and he is passionate about the Savior and holding a right and proper view about the Savior. And I would ask you, who is Jesus when you go out, and if you had the opportunity? to proclaim Christ, who is the Christ that you would proclaim? Now, of course, I'm not, I I, I, I almost want to assume, I I should be very careful of doing that, but for the sake of, of the argument, many of us would rightly assent to Jesus being man and God. And if you assent to that, that is the Christ that John would preach, obviously. But let's extend that for application purposes. Is Jesus a gracious Savior? When we go out and we talk to people about Jesus or we attempt to show folks whom the Savior is, do we show him as a gracious Savior, welcoming sinner? Do we show him as a a savior who is uh, all powerful and more than able or more than capable of meeting our needs? Who is the savior that we present? And by the way, I believe Jesus is gracious. And this is not to suggest that he does not uh, hate or condemn sin. He came to pay the price obviously for sin. But the question becomes, are we presenting the Jesus to our community, to our city, in our homes? Are we presenting the Jesus that John himself proclaimed? And if not, we must ask the Lord for help in doing so. John, again, is extremely passionate about the people that he is preaching to knowing who Jesus is. And he is writing fiercely, if you will, to let the people know that those out there are proclaiming a false Christ and they are to hold to the true Christ. May we be a church that presents the Christ of Scripture. Amen? The second thing, he is also communicating the importance of being aware of false teachings regarding Jesus. It's one thing to hold tight to a true and proper knowledge of Christ. It's another thing to be mindful and aware of false teachings regarding Christ. Now, if I stood up here and I said, you know what, two plus two equals five, some of you might initially think, well, that was probably a slip of the tongue. But if three or four minutes later I repeated the claim, two plus two equals five, some of you would probably start to wonder, he may not be that good at math, or he is totally proclaiming something that is not the case. And I would imagine some of you would also say, hey, pastor, that might not be right. (laughs) No, 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 not might, but that is not right. And I would imagine I would really throw you off if I said, yes, it is right. (laughs) You would know, you would know that what I proclaimed was wrong, and you would say something about that. John views this issue as not only important enough for his audience to embrace a proper view of Christ, but they need to be mindful whenever they hear and see something that is being communicated about Christ that is not true and right. Now, of course, we, uh, it's not my intention to get in here and to go over all of the historical views about what people claim about Jesus and so on and so forth. But uh, that being said, let me, let me suggest at least one or two for us to be mindful of. There are some who would deem Christ simply as a good teacher. In that alone. And is Christ a good teacher? A great teacher? The teacher? Amen. But the Christ that John preaches is much more than a teacher. He is a savior. He is one who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is one who has come to pay the price upon the cross. He is the one to whom we are to submit to, not simply as a teacher, but also as our Lord, to whom we are to follow and obey. There are some who would treat Christ simply as a genie, if you will. I mean, Christ has come to serve us. Uh, isn't that what Jesus told the disciples? And we translate that to mean he is here to meet whatever we want. All we have to do is have the faith. But the Christ that John preaches is the Lord of all creation. And he is the one who sets the agenda. He is the one who sets the game plan. And we, by faith, follow his leading, not he following ours. We must be careful, we must be mindful that not everyone who calls Jesus uh, the Son of God, if you will, holds to a correct and proper view of Christ himself. Now again, that, this point, we can go on and on about different views and so on and so forth, but suffice it to say that we must be mindful, we must be aware, especially in this day and age, that the Christ of John is not always the Christ of everyone else who proclaims Jesus' name. So, may we be mindful and aware, just as John is writing to warn the people that the Christ that is being preached amongst them at that time was not the Christ of the Gospels. Amen? The third thing we should be mindful of is that we arrive at the truth, obviously by faith, but by the anointing of the Holy One. There are differences of opinion as to whether or not this is referring to Christ or to the Holy Spirit. Most, and I am one as well, who would conclude that this has to do with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be careful, be very careful of thinking that we can arrive at spiritual truth simply by intellect alone. Praise God for intellect. Praise God for good books. Praise God for affordable seminaries. I'm still wrapping my head around that pastor stand. three years, 5,000 dollars. Where was this when I was in seminary? (laughs) Praise God for intellect. Amen? Amen? Use it as God gives it. But be careful of thinking that our minds alone will get us to understanding the things of God to understand the things of God the way he would have us to understand them. Ultimately, we need the Holy Spirit, i.e., the anointing of the Holy One. Now, John is not saying that these folks don't need to be taught. Obviously, he is teaching them. But what he is counteracting, and I referenced this in a previous sermon, is that the false teachers were going around saying we have the knowledge, the secret knowledge. We know Jesus in ways that you don't know. And so you must submit to us and we will help you. John is thinking in light of that by saying because you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need those false teachers going around proclaiming what they're proclaiming. And this, this this harkens back. This hearkens back to the old covenant. And by the way, uh, I must thank one of my fellow preachers here. I, I, I won't put his name just in case you think I'm wrong, uh, but uh, this harkens back unto the old covenant. Specifically in Jeremiah where the Lord communicates to Jeremiah, you know what? I am going to give them a new heart and I am going to place my law upon their heart. This will not be something that is external, but this will be something that is inward. And likewise, this this inward connection with the Father comes not simply or solely through a law that is placed within our heart, but the Holy Spirit himself dwelling within us. And by the way, this is good news for those who may not have the greatest of intellects. This this, this is great news for those who who may not have finished high school, who may not have a college degree. You may not know or be able to know some of these uh, educational items that uh, are helpful to know, but because you have the Holy Spirit, you can know the things of God. That is great news. And remember, he is talking, John is talking primarily to a crowd that would not have been literate, who may not have had uh, the scriptures in the form that we had them. And he is saying that you have an anointing from the Holy One. I am not writing to you because you don't know this. In essence, I am writing to you because you already know this. And so, brothers and sisters, how often are we placing our faith, our trust, our dependency upon the Holy Spirit? I know perhaps there's this prevailing view that there are those out there who abuse the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we don't touch it because others go too far with it. Some of us do the same thing with the idea of works because some use works improperly. We don't deal with it like we should. But brothers and sisters, if the Lord promised us the Holy Spirit, we cannot turn a blind eye to the Spirit. And I want us, I want myself, I want us as a church to be a church that, yes, we are looking to the Scriptures. God has given us the Scriptures. I want us to look to one another as God has given us various gifts and insights. But let it be known that there is one Spirit that we all share, and we must be reliant upon the Holy Spirit as it pertains to walking in the ways of God and ascertaining the truth of the Scriptures. And so, John says, You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will lead you into a proper and true knowledge of Christ. I conclude with what John himself uh, wishes for the people. He says, and if you look to me, I'll go to the scripture for. This particular one in verse 26, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, listen to this phrase, abide in him. Abide in him. In him. Sometimes we are tempted with shiny new toys, or uh, better yet, uh, new ways and new thinkings and new programs and so on and so forth. And I'm not suggesting that uh, new can't be a good thing, but the people. In John's day, they had been taught about Jesus. They had embraced Jesus. And now there's a new wave of folks coming by. And they're trying to give new knowledge, new things. And some of the folks perhaps would have gone that way. But John says, instead of going with the so-called new secret knowledge, abide in Christ. What is it that may be tugging at you? What are those new and tempting ways,
1: ideas,
0: thoughts that may be pulling you away from abiding in Christ? What are those things that are competing for your attention, your soul, your faith, your mind? What are those things that are, that are attempting to pull you away? And perhaps you need to hear, abide in Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves struggling. Is it worth following Jesus? I didn't know following Jesus would be this difficult. I didn't know following Jesus would require this amount of sacrifice. I didn't know that following Jesus would cost me friends, family members. I didn't know that following Jesus or I didn't anticipate following Jesus would cause me to, to, to give up certain preferences that I know I would rather have. And for some folks, they are tempted to leave, if you will, their abode in Christ and go the new ways. If this will give me new health or better health, perhaps I'll go that way. If this will give me more resources or better education or better this and better that, ooh, Maybe that is the way to go. John is telling his people, don't fall for that stuff. Those new teachers who are trying to draw you into something new about Jesus, abide instead in the Christ of Scripture. And let me suggest, brothers and sisters, that if we stay strong, if we stay strong, If we abide in Christ, the Christ of Scripture, if we abide in him, we are on solid ground. And we will see the fruits of abiding in Christ. John, in a certain sense, describes it as eternal life. And obviously, it is eternal life. But I want you to remember that whatever the ways of the world, whatever it is they have to offer, know that it does not compare to what it is that Christ himself has to offer. So let us abide in him. And if you're feeling tempted to step out, if you will, if you're tempted to embrace something else that is contrary to Christ, ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Because we can't do any of the stuff that is required of us by ourselves. It takes Christ. It takes his spirit. And the good thing is, whatever he requires of us, he gives us his spirit that is more than able to help us. So brothers and sisters, again, let us hold to a true and proper knowledge of Christ. Let us be mindful and aware of some of the false things that may be out there. And then let us also rely upon the Holy Spirit. And as we do, we'll abide in Christ. Father, we bless your most holy name. And Father, we think about not only the challenges that John faced in his day, The competing teachings and views, and all of the things that were circulating that could draw or attempted to draw some of the faithful away. We have those today as well. And we pray, Father, that your Spirit would help us to stand upon the Jesus of Scripture, help us to abide in the Christ of Scripture. If we feel tempted by the world, if we are struggling as it relates to issues of faith, may your Spirit hold us. As a church, Father, may we be passionate about Christ. May we think daily about our Savior and what He has done upon the cross for us. May we not only promote Christ, but may we promote his ways. And whenever, Father, we see something that stands contrary to Christ, help us to be bold in taking a stand. Help us to take these stands in a wise way. But nonetheless, Father, help us to honor our Savior, the teachings, the Jesus of Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Again, if you are physically able, I'll invite you to rise for our closing song.